like for you to turn to Psalms 141 uh, to begin with, verses 1 through 3, because this pictures the uh, theme of the lesson. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice, when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Incline not mine heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let, not, uh, let me not eat of their dainties. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, if you'll turn to that, this also shows the uh, sinful nature in man as it works and as we have to deal with it. The foolish have said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doth good, and no, not one. And then Romans 3 and verse 23, uh, they have all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, all of these in Romans 3, 9 through uh, 18, all show that the conscience of man bears out that we're dealing with sin. This situation provides the place to begin in describing the human condition and a point of contact for the preaching of the gospel and of the word. And uh, I want you to continue with you. Uh, this theme is the New Testament meaning of sin can be seen only from the Old Testament background. The fullest and profoundest discussion of human nature in the Bible is found in Genesis 1 through 3. I want you to think about this, and this is really the basis of our lesson, is Genesis 1 through 3, how he built. There is here disclosed the paradox of human nature. Paradox means the contradictory nature of it, the greatness and the wretchedness, the majesty and the misery part. According to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, mankind, male and female, is made in the image of God and appointed Lord of God's creation. This is the greatness of human beings. According to Genesis 2 and 7, the first man was made from the dust of the earth with all the wickedness of clay, or the weakness of clay, and the... Uh, the story unfolds, subject to temptation, to sickness, to sin, and to death. This is the wretchedness of the human uh, nature and the human beings. For all the greatness, human life is derivative. It is dependent on the Creator for everything. And so there is revealed the paradox of dominance and dependence and dominion, man wanting to, to domineer and not to be dependent upon God. And as we see that, we can get close to our own human nature. Of all the competing 
worldviews, only the biblical doctrines of creation and fall account of the dual nature of human, the aspirations, the ideals, the moments of greatness, yet falling short, filled with frustration and failure. It's very obvious. It just is it, it, so, it's so observable till we cannot deny the human situation. Theologians debate whether the fall is historical or symbolic. Well, it is both. It is the story of the first human couple, and it is also the story of every man and every woman who ever lives upon the face of the earth. For there are four great realities of human nature are found in this great narrative in Genesis 3, and we're going to cover those four. There has been, the first one is temptation. The first great reality of human nature revealed in Genesis 3 is the experience of temptation. Temptation came to Eve through three avenues. She saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise and knowledgeable. Scriptures elsewhere has uh, unfolded the expressions of temptation to sin. There is likely maybe no conscious allusion to these passages back there, but we always compare them because they're so alike. The description of what is involved in the sinful world in 1 John 2 and verse 16 offers a parallel, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, the pride of life. Another threefold expression of influence of the sin comes through the temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, but the parallel to what we mention here is in Luke 4, 1 through 11. Luke offers a close parallel to the Genesis record, turning the stones to bread, the desire for flesh, seeing all the kingdoms of the world over which to exercise authority, that's the delight to the eyes, throwing himself down from the, uh, te uh, the temple and the pinnacle of the temple, tempting God by claiming a special or godlike position. And that is in Luke 4, 3 through 12. Each of these three sets of, of, of the three temptations, one in Matthew, one in Luke, and the one in, in Genesis, all three groups of three types of temptation relate to the pleasure, to possessions, and the prestige of the world. And behind all the avenues through which temptation comes to a person lies a basic temptation made clear in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. That is the temptation to deny our, create, our creaturely status and to rebel against God. Every one of them penetrates that. The human inclination is to desire the creation and deny the creator. Now think about that. And it'll help us. Romans 1 and 25, it pictures that. Humans desire to live life on their own terms. The, ser the serpent promised Eve, said, you'll be like God. See, that is the fundamental temptation. We want to be our own God. The exalted position of human beings in the creation perhaps makes them especially susceptible to his desire to play God. There has been much speculation about what kind of tree was the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. It may have been a special tree, but it does not matter from a horticultural standpoint. Any tree would have done. The good is to do what God says. Evil is not to do what God says. And any act of disobedience brings this experiential knowledge. So it doesn't matter, really, to know good and evil elsewhere in the Old Testament indicate to determine or to decide good and evil. And this is in the biblical understanding is a divine prerogative. Human beings ought not to venture out there. They want to decide for themselves what's good and what's evil, what is right and what's wrong. Only God can make that determination. And we want to take the, uh, the place of God, we're going we're to end up in the wrong place. That is the basic temptation. That's the temptation. It was the downfall of Eve and Adam. It's the downfall in the church today. People don't want to listen to an elder that, that's knowledgeable and that teaches them the Bible a lot of time. They, they want to do it on their own, or to preachers, or to teachers. They think they know it all. A lot of people do. The reality of temptation reveals another reality, the freedom of the will. You know, it's a choice. It's a choice. Without freedom to choose, there would be no temptation. The basic biblical perspective maintains human responsibility to resist sin and to resist its influence. And you just compare all of those uh, passages there, Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, the wives of the devil is mentioned there a number of times. Stand, having stand, having, uh, he said, stand against the wiles of the devil. Manning stand, stand, and, and he just keeps on for a number of verses there. And when you're standing, you pray to God, and he gives strength through the Spirit. And James 4 said, resist the devil, and he'll free from you. 1 Peter 5 and 9 said, he's going about his roaring line, seeking whom he may devour. Who resists steadfast in the flesh? The fact is, however, that human beings do not master the sin that lurks at the door. Just like, old, just like old Cain did. Instead, they yield to temptation. Now, the second great reality of human nature manifested in Genesis 3 is the experience of sin. The experience of Adam and Eve is everyone's experience. Remember that. All have sinned. Just as sin came into the world through one man and one death came uh, through sin, and so death spread to all because of all have sinned. Romans 5 and verse 12. Every man is his own Adam, and every woman is her own Eve. Basic to human sinfulness is the failure to acknowledge God as God. And when Paul in Romans 1 described the sinfulness of the world apart from God, he stressed the failure to honor God and give thanks for his gifts. You remember that when you read that? What is involved in sin according to the biblical description may be summed up as disobedience. In the words of 1 John 3 and verse 4, it says, Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's not listening to God. It's talking back to God instead of listening to God. In one translation, it just says transgression. Sin is to disobey the law or command of God, even as Adam and Eve 
were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, but did so in the same way any disobedience of the commands of God constitutes sin. Now, he has never given us license to commit sin. He's given us license in Christ to be forgiven. And that's the wonderful thing. And we can't lose in Christ. As the presence of temptation demonstrates free will, so the practice of sin awakens consciousness. Consciousness is the feeling of inward pain for doing what one has taught is wrong. There came this knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve. Conscience, conscience is often defined as an inner guide to conduct, but it is the, the only in secondary defined as, as an inner guide to conduct, but it is this only in a secondary sense. It is, first of all, a monitor that reproves past action, and as a consequence of this may serve to give guidance in future moral choices. But your, your, your conscience has to be informed. Conscience is informed by teaching and, and past experience. For that reason, one person's conscience may judge differently from another, and the moral code in the culture may differ from that in another culture. And this, this conscience is not so much as an active initiator in the moral matters and, and moral capacity of man, although the moral codes may differ, the capacity to feel guilty and to make moral judgment is common to all people. We have it. And we need to study God's Word to be educated properly. The conscience is a latent capacity. It is a possibility in man. It is a given uh, it is God-given and, and, and to awaken us to sin. And some people don't use it that way. And we need to be thankful that we can feel guilty and that we know when we have done things we ought not to. After Adam and Eve disobeyed the divine command, they saw themselves as naked and, and tried to hide from God. Genesis 3, 7 through 11. We still react in the same way. Our response may be more sophisticated. Our excuses are still fig trees, though, just like theirs uh, was. In essence, we too try to run away and hide from our accountability that God has given us. Yet before God, no creature is hidden. You know what Hebrews 4 and 13? All things are naked and laid open before him with whom we have to do. So we have to give an account to him. When Adam and Eve were found, they did as all human beings do. They tried to escape responsibility by blaming someone else. The man blamed the woman whom God had given him, turned around and, and even accused God. Well, you, you did it. You gave me her. That's the way we do. And yet God can't make mistakes. God doesn't make a mistake. It was wonderful. And the woman turned around and blamed, the, uh, blamed the Satan and said, well, he tricked me into this. He deceived me into this. Just give him, he made me do it. Here there is demonstrated the universal human dilemma, capable of good and knowing better, but not living up to it. Here is the twofold nature of human being. It's the image of God that he gave us and the fleshly human side of it that certainly is capable of sin. Now, 
As a consequence of sin, there follows the third reality of human nature described in Genesis 3. The experience of punishment, the eviction from the garden, punishment from sin is inescapable. The punishment of the woman, he stated, and, and said, I will greatly increase your pangs in, in childbearing. We should be clear that the punishment is not the childbearing itself. The command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth was part of the original order in the first part of Genesis. That was God's plan. Marriage and parenthood were divinely instituted as part of the goodness of creation, and still is. The punishment of the woman had to do with the circumstances of childbearing, not the childbearing itself. In pain you shall bring forth uh, children. In spite of the pain of childbearing, the woman's natural desire would be for her husband. And he was given the leading role in the marriage relationship. Genesis 3 and verse 16. This subordinate position in the family and later in the people of God, although not a denial now of woman's abilities, neither natural or spiritual, it, it was to be reserved and until the heavenly a reversal of the human condition. If you want to read Luke 20 and, and 34 through 36, and just see how Jesus, he came, and all the love and affection he had for the woman in her position. Similarly, the punishment on the man in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, was not work itself, but the circumstances accompanying the work. In the garden before the fall, Adam had the responsibility to till and to keep the garden. That is before he'd sinned. He had that work assigned to him. Work, although we often pretend not to think so, is good for a person. It's therapy for a person. Well, I had a lady tell me this week, uh, she, she'd been working for a doctor a long time and she had to have an operation. And, and she had just retired and, and the doctor went in to see her and he said, you know, I've always been told, he didn't order to quit working for him. He said, I've always been told that when you quit working, you die. That wasn't very good to tell a lady you like that, but it was too good for him not to because he was pretty close to her. But she said she got the point. It is the means whereby we define ourselves as persons and it's therefore a privilege. Don't ever forget that. After the fall, the work involves toil and produces sweat, and the soil brings forth thorns and thistles as well as plants good for food. Sin just contaminated us in our work and in our project. Pain is in the world as a result of sin. It is not part of the original order of creation. In addition to these distinctive punishments of the woman and the man, there was the common punishment of expulsion from the garden and of the tree of life. Now, we have it back in Christ. Don't you ever forget it. We have it back in the taste, in, in the foretaste. And a person who's a Christian is, is the same as in heaven. He's going to make it, he, as long as he doesn't lose faith in Christ and his blood and what he did at the cross. The, the ultimate punishment for sin was death. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. God had warned that if Adam ate of the free, uh, fruit of the tree 
in the middle of the garden, he would die. And Eve, Eve knew this. Although spiritual death, separation from God, was involved, the elaboration of punishment, the return to dust, indicates the specific meaning and connotation of a physical death. The big lie of the serpent was to deny these consequences of sin and to appeal to human pride. And it still is today. It still is today. Human beings go to great lengths to avoid, if not to deny, this unpleasant prospect. But we're born to die. It's not all of death to live. It's not all of, uh, it's not all of life to live. Or is it all of death to die? That's a greater thing. We're in the land of the dying. And Jesus came from the land of the living that we might live forever. It is appointed for martyrs to die once and then after that the judgment. In spite of the consequences of the first transgression, the image of God in which male and female were created, whatever content is given to this, remained after the fall. Adam and Eve were cut off from the tree that was the source of life, the tree of life. However, it's again accessible in the heavenly Jerusalem. In fact, uh, he gave that woman the well. He, he said, you can have life and you'll sprinkle up into eternal life. In fact, we do have eternal life. The person who believes in him has eternal life. Jesus is, is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you're in Christ, you have the life. Paul said, it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live by faith, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. No longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. He really taught that, that, that for him to live was Christ, and Christ will live forever. So we have a part of eternity within us. And, and these, these uh, three things that we mentioned, temptation, temptation, and sin, and uh, uh, the the things that we have mentioned here is is a part, and, and you need to review that and think about it, and then uh, the punishment, uh, and it ought to get us uh, keep us away from this. We ought to just look at the last, last part here, the third, and the story doesn't end here about temptation and sin and punishment. The prospects for humanity would be bleak indeed, black and desolate. Happily for human beings, there is more to the story. Another great reality, the fourth one, of human nature is the hope of redemption. We live in that age. We have hope. When God placed his curse upon the serpent, he also made a promise, the offspring of the woman will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Christians, and we often talk about that being the first promise, have seen this as the first messianic prophecy. Maybe the claim is too much. Maybe it includes more than what we think. However, the promise is repeated so many times. Uh, this at least gives us that our, we're above our animalistic, the animalistic nature. It is a simple statement of the superiority of humanity over the animalistic or over the, the Satan or over the the, 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 the human element and the fleshly element. The conflict of human, manatee, and animal is one aspect of fallen creation will be over. And even he speaks about a time in the future when all animals, uh, the ones that are, are so drastically dangerous, 
are no longer dangerous. And uh, uh, of course, that's picturing the the uh, the wonderful hope that we have in Christ Jesus. From the standpoint of the coming of Christ, it is possible to see a fullness of meaning and a specific reference not apparent in this original text, as perhaps reflected in Romans 16 and 20. Christ has come. We know how humanity would prevail over the embodiment of evil, and we can uh, overcome evil with Christ. And Romans 6 tells us when we were baptized into Christ that we have crucified the old man, we have crucified the sin, we rise above it, and we can, with his help, uh, always exercise ourselves in godliness rather than in sin. Human triumphs over temptation, over sin, over punishment, through one man, Jesus Christ, the offspring of woman, is the answer to all of our problems. Although bruised by the strikes of Satan, Christ crushed the head of the foe. When he, in Hebrews 2, he said he destroyed old Satan, and we were all our lifetime subject to Satan. But when he went to the grave, he delivered us from him. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Human beings triumph over evil through the new Adam, through the perfect man. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a living spirit, according to 1 Corinthians. And here is the passage in another version besides your King James. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, you have to keep your faith in him. You have to know he was flesh, but he's now spirit. And his flesh was put to death by Satan. And Satan thought he won, but he lost when he put him to death. Because when he put him to death, he gave every other person who ever gets in the flesh a release and their visa to go to heaven. And that's the reason he died on the cross. That's the reason we can't boast about what we do. Because Christ did it. He did it in the same kind of body that we have in order that we might be released. Jesus Christ is the real man. He's the true man. What a human being was meant to be. He is the typical representative person, the leader of a new humanity conformed to the Creator's plan. And you can be in Him tonight. If you will just uh, confess Him, that He died for you, and put Him on in the likeness of His death as we stand together and say.